Welcome to The Bridge, fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show which connects East and West. My name is Jason. I'm originally from sunny California, the Golden State, living here in beautiful Beijing, (laughs) city of museums. Today with me is Alex. Hello, Alex. Hello, everybody. And I am the other host that you've been listening to. I am from the Northeast part of China. I'm also sharing the beautiful city of Beijing with Jason. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Oh, you know, I recently saw you on CGTN. You're so famous now. <laughs> you, so you've been on BBC, you've been on CGTN, you do stand-up comedy. I don't think there's anything Alex can't do. There's something. There are quite a lot of things. For example, <laughs> not eating noodles at 10 p.m. and <laughs> waking up at 6. There are a couple things that I can't do. Oh, wow. Not, not proud of it, but... Not eating noodles, that's not the power. The power is being able to eat noodles at 10 p.m. <laughs> you know, being like Bo from Kung Fu Panda, just eat noodles when oh, yeah. I want and still be a able long to play time Kung Fu. since I saw that cartoon. There's like three or four of them now. It's it's like a franchise. I think there's three. Yeah, there. I think there's three. And apparently they weren't even going to put a lot of like attention or energy into promoting that film. But it did surprisingly well. Wow. So, yeah. I see there, there's statues of, I don't remember the panda's name, in the mall near my house. So um, he's, I guess he's called Kung Fu Panda. You mean the panda, panda from? Yeah, Kung Fu Panda. What's his, his name? His name is Bo. His Bo. name is Bo. Bo. Yeah, there's yeah, a statue a of cute Bo. Name. I want to talk about something not as fun. There's a huge water mm. crisis in some cities and areas, regions of the United States. One of the most Yikes. developed nations, the most post-industrial and industrial nation in the world with the highest GDP uh, in nominal terms in the world. And they're mm. having serious infrastructure problems, my home country. So it says here, as Flint residents are being diagnosed with PTSD eight years after the most public water safety crisis in modern mm. U.S. memory, Jackson, Mississippi, has become the center of a new emerging water crisis. According to CBS News on January 5th of the crisis in Mississippi, full recovery will take many years, end quote, after a water system already partially collapsed, suffered bursting pipes due to the winter freeze, leaving many with no water pressure at all. So what Mm. what do you think about this, Alex? I mean, I remember, of course, I don't live in the States right now, but I remember when things went down in Flint, Michigan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess as a sort of a spoiled city child uh, growing up in China, when I saw the news, I was in the beginning, it was confusing for me. Mm-hmm. Not confusing mm-hmm. as in I don't believe that it happened. Mm-hmm. Confusing mm-hmm. in a way as in how did that become national news? Like how bad is it that mm-hmm. it became national news? And as you follow the development and then I think two, three years later, I was still reading about Flint because um, I had a I had quite a few artist friends that are very active um, in the social activism scene back then. And they're mm. all doing projects or doing artworks to support Flint, to voice for Flint. Wow. And that's when I started to look into how serious the situation was. And I was it was kind of unbelievable when I saw the visuals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, water problems don't happen in other parts of the world yeah. or even in China. It happens. Absolutely. There, are, there are times when I was like a little kid um, in my hometown because the you know it's like really cold in the northeast part of china mm. and sometimes the, either the, the the pipe burst or you know whatever pipe got into other pipe and what what not whatever sometimes very very of course like very very mm. rarely i remember maybe like once i opened tap water in my own house um i turned it on and the water came out a little funky. muddy yeah <laughs> yeah it came out a little funny and then i went away like mm. very quickly yeah within like a couple of hours or sometimes they will say that oh hey there's some sort of like um problem and we need to just cut the water for two hours and then they'll come back on and it'll be fine Mm -hmm. and you would and then i was like okay of course things that problems that last for like five hours is not going to make national news so how how long did did it last for flint so even like looking back today and i think we're gonna probably talk about this later on in the in the episode yeah we can yeah i mean i felt like that was such a how do you say not a rural area water problem sort of thing but i didn't think back then as someone who's you know just moved to the states for like i think two years um or 
plus I was like this is you know the best country in the world da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. and then people are people of an entire city is having water problems mm-hmm. for like years that's yeah. kind of it was kind of a little bit mind-boggling for me exactly I think you said it exactly how I wanted to say it it's not like we're trying to pick apart America I think it's surprising when you know the rich kid on the block has problems and so America <laughs> pe- people don't think of America as having a problem with water coming out of the faucets that's drinkable so that's right why it's in it's something worth talking about because and can, I, can I just say this sorry sorry to cut you off just when you say that people are drinking water out of that like we never did that we don't <laughs> yeah. do that in China yeah. like even right now like my mom and my dad they have the most probably not the most um state-of-the-art kind of water filtering system but they have a, a sort of an expensive filter that's installed under the sink and the water that comes out of it I'm pretty sure that's drinkable mm-hmm. but they'll never they'll they still don't drink water from the tap like yeah. it, it's really I'm pretty sure majority of Chinese people regardless how expensive the water filtering system is like they'll still they're just used to boiling the water and then drink it like mm. but when we went to the states I, I just remember there was a mind like a mental <laughs> hurdle I had overcome to drink tap water at the restaurants <laughs> they're like they're like oh do you want like ten dollars sparkling water do you want just tap water I was like well just give me tap water and <laughs> they brought it to me I was like just put a lot of ice in it but then you think about it the ice is also coming from the tap water <laughs> so it doesn't really do well, anything. a lot of the ice machines actually have filters built into them so oh i didn't know that i've never had an ice machine you know i think you're right probably most americans do just drink tap water and i did i remember doing it as a kid in america but my dad <laughs> ended up installing in america a uh, a filter eventually into mm. the, i don't know why what his thinking was or whatever but he did and so we had you know filtered water that was it would run through before it came out of the tap for the house but yeah mm. when people think of america they don't think of these issues so that's why yeah it's you know you think of okay a developing country you think of africa or india where maybe they're they're still working on developing their pipes and systems and infrastructures being built yeah. and maybe having for some people who are like disconnected from the major cities they're still having to carry it in a pail or something or the you know mm. world health organization or you know the belt and road institute or installing you know pumps for them to have modern clean water so when mm. something like this happens in america it's global news because everyone's like look america has water problems too which is maybe a little unfair but it's also you know it's also un- really unfair to those people in mississippi in jackson mississippi and in flint michigan and maybe other a couple other pockets here and there in the united states where this is an issue and you know most of it's not you know a problem because there wasn't infrastructure it's because the infrastructure is in disrepair and i yeah and so i actually uh this is on jackson mississippi jackson mayor i'm gonna mispronounce your name uh <laughs> madam mercer chakwa antar lumaba <laughs> announced you tried, you tried. I, I tried so hard sorry mr <laughs> mr mr lumaba announced 800 million dollars in funding to rebuild it which is less than half according to yahoo news uh on january 5th that it requires so this is mm. bad and and one thing that i feel is is you know important to point out 80 percent of the residents in this city are black so that that matters and a lot of people will say oh that doesn't matter but it actually does yeah so i think we need to factor that in when we're thinking about issues like this and crises like this so apparently the, what happened this weekend is about around christmas weekend the cold mm. got so cold that the already partially collapsed water infrastructure completely collapsed and pipes yeah, burst everywhere and the, you know some of these pipes are inaccessible and it's difficult to find out where the brakes are because they're underground in a lot of cases so this is going to require yeah. years of digging pipes up and replacing them and digging pipes up and replacing them over and over and over and over again and to make sure that these people have you know a right to water which is it which is actually a right that's enshrined in the un declaration on human rights which you know all of us are supposed to be getting yeah, it's something that we take so for granted nowadays mm-hmm. you know we, we're just like oh of course there's going to be drinkable water if i turn on the tap i should be able to just at least consume it without con- being concerned about its quality and safety but mm. so and to this, your surprise this is from uh, an article by michael goldberg it says mississippi agency denies NAACP's water discrimination claim so this is mm. actually that hey hey we are being discriminated against and that we deserve more federal um, funding and they are there is a lawsuit that is ongoing to try to acquire compensation in addition to ha- being mm. able to get it fixed so they're asking for 
uh, additional funding and compensation for the resulting crisis of water in Jackson, Mississippi, which is, mm. you know, I think is actually quite fair because, you know, you, as you just mentioned, most people who live in a post-industrial society or industrial society, you know, a developed nation, expect that when you turn the water faucet, water is going to come on. Of course, yeah. our experience is sometimes that doesn't happen because, the, oh, we're temporary repairs for the next 48 hours, 24 hours or whatever yeah. are ongoing or you have five hours of muddy water, like Alex said. But the, the expectation. <laughs> is that you should be able to generally 99.9% of the time it mm. just be able to access clean water I mean we should all be responsible with that water but we should also of be course. able to access water it's give a, it's me a, the water so I can be responsible I mean <laughs> you know I you know as a kid I was always interested in surviving in the desert because lots of my co- favorite cartoon characters had to where do did that, that- why, why is that a why is that a, a, a goal or a dream for a kid? I don't know. There's like Wiley e. Coyote out there dying. Yeah. And you know what you learn is you could go maybe potentially weeks without food if you don't have like hypoglycemia or something. Mm. But if you go even two or three days without water, you might die. So, I mean, water is yeah. more critical than food. So it's one of those things that you absolutely 100 percent need all the time. Every human being. That's how human beings are able to exist. Water is a requisite when scientists look for life on other on other planets they like okay Mm. is there water there no probably there's no life there then so it's one of those things that is absolutely necessary just to continue to live like breathing almost Mm. i guess air is a little more critical (laughs) definitely and i think that explains the again i don't want to come off as saying like oh that's just an american problem and other Mm -hmm. countries don't have it but at least for someone like me or people that i know my like i said my dad's family is from a small town and my mom's family is from the rural area mm. in the northeast they've never been like oh we have to go two weeks without clean water Th- mm. that whole notion is just really hard to wrap our heads around and mm. for me if you think about what we're just what we just said that having clean water is your basic human right and like i, I said earlier it's something that we take for granted so often then if you have to put yourself in the shoes of people that are in flint michigan or in jackson mississippi mm-hmm. but we also feel like i'm singing when I say Jackson, Mississippi together. Uh, <laughs> hey, isn't that a compliment, Jackson, Mississippi? I know. It's such a catchy place, <laughs> you know. But if you think about people that live in that kind of environment where you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm just going to go brush my teeth. Hold on. I can't. Or, oh, hey, I have to cook. I have to like boil some noodles or have to make some whatever. Mm. I have to make some coffee or tea. Oh, wait, I can't. I think that probably creates an an immense amount of stress Mm. on residents in those cities. And if that lasts for like five five days, probably even for like two days, if I don't have like enough clean water, then that'll probably turn me into like, you know, one of those contestants on those survival shows. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to The Bridge. You know, you bring up a really good point because according to ScienceDaily.com, five years after the water crisis, one in five Flint, Michigan residents have has PTSD. So mm. this term actually started, the name of the term, I studied the history of this in World War One. it was called shell-shocked. And this comes from yeah. the, fa- the, actually, you can learn this from uh, George Carlin, famous comedian, philosopher, American philosopher, who, mm-hmm. who does a whole speech about this. It used to be called shell-shocked. And then eventually <laughs> it became, over a period of decades of, uh, Turning it into a clinical thing, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, which is typically associated with people who've been through like a war. Yeah, like they've actually some sort of trauma, some very immense trauma where they lost loved ones in a terrible crisis. And so now, one out of twenty percent of people from Flint, Michigan, have post-traumatic stress disorder. And even Mm. though apparently in 2016 most of the water issues in Flint are eradicated, and you can in most faucets turn the water on and drink it, people are so frightened of what might be in the water that they don't drink the water. They're still buying bottled water. They're terrified of drinking the water from the tap because they're traumatized by finding out that they were previously drinking and consuming extremely hazardous chemicals and they no longer trust the updated infrastructure that has been uh, built in their city. That is very sad. 
Yeah, is, it is. Well, we're talking about people who are in their 30, 20s, 30s, and 40s who will not turn the faucet on for the rest of their life because they're ter- so terrified and they need yeah. therapy then, about the water. It's ludicrous. Exactly. And this is where Chinese medicine kind of meets Western medicine. And they'll, they'll agree on this. Like if you are constantly in that, in that kind of stress and scare, but that's kind of, I feel, I imagine if the residents of cities with water crisis on such a larger scale, they would probably be living in that kind of stress and that's where uh, eastern medicine like traditional chinese medicine would agree with western medicine Mm. um you know just in unison that this kind of scare emotion or this kind of feeling Mm -hmm. it's people call it stress mostly in the in the west you know it's like stress induced whatever problems in chinese medicine they always say like being scared is the worst Mm. emotion to be in because that'll yeah that'll cause like disorder in this organ or that organ and that's going to affect how your body works so like i don't know if people like chinese our chinese listeners probably would understand what i'm saying because there's a very popular tv show where this main lady was constant like like scared mode and and worried about everything not knowing is if it's gonna things are gonna be okay or not and she like her her lifespan is significantly shortened because she's constantly in that kind of wow. fear yeah maybe that's the real state you know you, they have these old people that are like 110 115 they always ask them what's the secret to life and they always say surprising things like smoking or like eating chocolate or whatever it is yeah. I actually there was an old lady uh the oldest lady in the world right now I think she's the oldest person 118 I'm not, I forget where she's from but she said cutting bad people out of your life was the secret <laughs> oh to god I'm glad there was a second part that follows bad people I was like not cutting Whoa. people no, cutting, cutting bad, bad people. people out of, out your, of life. your life yeah that's <laughs> but, important no, but maybe that the you know they say correlation is not causality in science so maybe the secret is these people didn't spend a lot of time scared alex that's well, that's exactly maybe they'd live really long because they're not scared of well death. If, if you cut the <laughs> bad people out of your life you probably spend a lot less time worried <laughs> exactly and then they're probably they probably have the similar attitude towards other aspects of their life as well and that helps them with not being scared of mostly everything that they encounter on a daily basis so you're free of any burden or, or baggage. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually wanted to go back to where we started, what you said. I, I had the exact opposite experience of you. So mm. when when I was in America, before I had come to China to live for the first time, I had been to China, but I hadn't been to live. I was reading like, you know, on diff- different tips online and stuff about how, how to survive <laughs> in China. One of them was like, yeah. don't drink the water. And I was like, wait, if I'm going to go live in China, how could I not drink water? <laughs> like, At some point, I'm going to need water. What am I supposed to just drink bottled water all the time? So yeah. I, sh- I showed up in China and I had it took me a few weeks before people beat drinking out the water out of the faucet from me because I would just oh, be like God, it's, you're one it of those tastes people. fine what are you talking about people like you can't see what's wrong with it Jason and I'm like what are you talking about you know yeah. all I did eventually because at first I was like okay I'll get one of those you know coolers that you have replaced and that this is actually yeah. really inconvenient so my <laughs> wife is way smarter than me she has this German filtration system that you pour the faucet water into and yeah. then you pour out of that the water you're going to consume and so we've been using that for years and if occasionally uh, you have to update the fil- filter and that's it and so uh, uh it hasn't really been an inconvenience honestly when i did drink the water those couple times when okay i'll have to say i'll just have to say it, i was incredibly hungover and water was needed <laughs> right then you can't wait five minutes for the yep. water you need it right then i i didn't notice this it, it tasted fine but i guess a lot of the kind of things that people are concerned about are invisible and so i'm not actually sure so for in in flint i guess sometimes it was visible sometimes it was invisible but for jackson in jackson uh, mississippi when they turn the water on literally nothing comes out so they just turn it on it makes a sound like (laughs) nothing is coming out because the pipes are busted there's no pressure nothing is there so i'm really I, i i don't know all the details but i'm assuming that someone's providing water because when the flint crisis happened you know people around the country came together and were sending like truckloads of bottled water to flint and i think Mm. there were some organizations and governmental organizations providing bottled water so i I hope that we're having the same um effect on the situation in jackson mississippi where people are able to get water but i did hear that the the cost of real estate is going down and some people have chosen to leave the city i mean that's understandable isn't it yeah it is understandable it's it's terrible that this is your home and you're like 
like, okay, well, maybe for some people who are slightly more mobile or just had it, they're like, okay, I'm moving somewhere else. And this is it for Jackson, Mississippi and me. And our relationship has come to an end. I'm not waiting five years for them to fix this problem. I know that's I, like I said, that, that noise that the, the, the faucet makes when you turn it on, and there's no water coming out. I've, mm. I've heard that noise when I was a little <laughs> kid, you know, and then, like I said, it'll, it'll become, it'll come back in like two, three hours. No problem. Mm. Can I tell a story? Yes, please. All right. So my, you know, China is a developing country still te- mm-hmm. technically, but actually in two or three years is supposed to not be. There's a threshold. There's actually a threat, a literal, literal threshold, the IMF and World Bank and other organizations use. And China probably will pass out of being a developing country in two or three years when uh, it literally like the median income passes a certain like line. It's the dotted, mm-hmm. dotted line on the graph I saw. But I I came to I visited my wife's home, grandmother's home, which is deep countryside Shandong, like in the middle of yeah. nowhere countryside, really, you know, China's developing uh, countryside area. And when I first visited and I guess it was 2014 ish, I'm going to guess Chinese New Year. So almost 10 years ago, huh? Mm, exactly. Uh, we went out and that she was using a, a pump that would like in her right in front, in front of <laughs> it was like one meter in front of her front door there's a pump and the water was coming out of the pump and so i was like wow this is so cool because like you know i wasn't thinking about this is inconvenient or convenient i was just thinking i haven't seen like one of these except like you know in one of the old cowboy towns you go visit as a kid in america so i was like this is so cool so i was pumping water and drinking it and (laughs) you can drink this straight out of the faucet and i was like see this is even better but china in 2014 or 15 they had one of you know they have five-year plans all the time every five years uh instead of where america's five years plan is the uh, new marvel movies that are coming out mm. <laughs> so they said one of them was provide a working running water for everybody that yeah. year and i was like no that's uh you know we're talking about a billion people what are you talking about so the next year we went out to m- grandma's house uh-huh. and the pump was gone and instead she had running water inside yes. her ho- home and i was like holy can't say that word on the yes. radio <laughs> but i was just like that oh, is me. amazing china says they're gonna p- give everyone running water and literally the next year everyone has running water that is insane so like but when i read this article about like jackson mississippi is gonna cost like more than a billion dollars and they don't have enough money i'm like why can china do it in one year for everyone and america can't fix one city's plumbing for five years what is going on it's about priorities (laughs) i think i think it's about like priorities america maybe you you know you could uh, think about redirecting where funds are going congress Come yeah on. i you know i i under if we're talking about things on a, a more a little more uh macro level of course and one of the articles i think later on in in our research is discussing all different factors that could have played a role in making this problem bigger than it should have been mm. and possible solutions and all of that and sometimes i'm just like <clears throat> you know i'm just reading that and i'm just thinking it's a very basic survival needs for everybody does like climate change really play into this like is are those even legit questions to ask when we're looking at something that really like we said affecting the most important thing for everybody to just stay alive well like outside of air you know for us for at least for china say what you (laughs) say what you will but i know exactly the story you talked about because that's mm. the same thing that happened to my mom's hometown like mm. my uncle's and my aunt's houses i loved as a little kid playing with that pump because you have to like <laughs> there's some skill that has to go into yeah, it, it was it's, it was a little more complicated than i thought it was like you have to start 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 slow really really hard you know get the air out and, or and then like when you push whatever there's a whole like set of skills that can't be described and you'll just know when you do it more often mm. and it's fun because it's like water that you are getting out of the like from under the ground yeah and the shape of the pump i love I've, i still love the shape of the pump. i don't know why it just looks so interesting and it really like i think it's within a year's time when i went after that and i went back and it's like a, they still do it it's still it's still a giant um pot that they use to get the mm, water but mm. the water is coming out of the faucet mm, mm. so by the way my cousin just drinks straight from that giant water pot and it's not really <laughs> <laughs> my entire family has tried to stop 
stop him. He's doing okay. (laughs) (laughs) He's fine. So, but I also asked my, um, because I remember I was like, I want, because I think we talked about, you know, like the whole bathroom toilet situation in in some rural areas in China. And my parents, like my mom's hometown, though, they still have it, what we call the dry bathroom. So basically it's just, you know, what works for the, for the village. And I asked my uncles and I said, why don't, why don't they just give you guys, you know, the whole, why don't they just make it the same with people's bathrooms in the city where you can just flush and it goes under wherever. And then he said, as farmers would actually prefer not to have that because once the drainage system is implemented, it actually might, because you're going to start dumping everything into the bathroom, into the toilet. And it's so close to their farming fields. It actually poses a bigger threat of contamination to their uh, farmland. So that's why some places they still don't have, like it's still very much rural, but running, drinking water, it's there. Mm. I think the the kind of leach system that is required for farmers to be able to use and have the kind of plumbing that you're talking about is very expensive. My father, we uh, mm. we lived in the countryside in Oakdale, California, a little bit for just a few years. And uh, my father built his own home and he installed this uh, his own system. And it had a leach system that went under the ground really deep and then spread it out in like tentacles that went out way into the distance. But it was very deep underground. So consequently. Consequently, uh, we that was our plumbing system, and but mm. it also made the soil above really, really fertile. So everything grew like yeah. crazy. Unfortunately <laughs> for us, we weren't we were all busy with other things other than you know managing the land, and so yeah. the weeds would just grow really heartily. <laughs> we had these huge beast-like weeds that were taller than you <laughs> and thorny as heck. We're getting everything we need to be crazy. <laughs> Just keep going from that. You're listening to The Bridge. Another article kind of reflecting what we've already said. This is called For Jackson and Flint, The Water May Be Back, But the Trust is Gone. CNN, Sarah Sidner and Meredith Edwards, September 8th, 2022. And it talks about uh, Jackson, Mississippi. And, and it also talks about Flint, Michigan. And basically, it has a therapy session. There's a picture of a gentleman named Charles Wilson III. And he says, quote, I will die when he asks why he won't drink the water. And he mm. Also says he, quote, we've been crying about our water for a long time. So um, people are so terrified of drinking. So this is really interesting. So even if we eventually they fix the water in Jackson, Mississippi, like there will be a knock on human effect to people not trusting the water. I mean, mm. I think with Flint, there was actual toxins in the water and people were really concerned about that. You know, you're going to have other different kinds of people are sensitive creatures. You know, we, of course, we ourselves are very sensitive. And so how? Having these crises are going to dramatically affect how people will perceive the infrastructure even after it has been repaired. So yeah. it's it's really kind of a shame. You know, one of the things, and I'm going to get in trouble with the fracking community here, people who believe oh, no. in natural gas, <laughs> but like I've seen the YouTube videos where people who live on land near where there is fracking, where mm. they uh, extract natural gas from the deep rock underneath people's homes that's really yeah. quite deep – they will turn their faucet on and like a gaseous liquid will come out that you can mm. take a lighter to and it's flammable. It's not oh just these two cities. There are areas of the United States everywhere that have been impacted by human activity mm. be- beyond just not having the requisite infrastructure. And mm. that human activity has made a regular normal infrastructure like having a well on your property not functionally possible anymore because of mm. the damage that we are doing to the land. And I think yeah. we as people, no, I'm not talking about the United States. I'm, I'm an American. I love Americans. I, my my fa- whole family lives there. I'm not trying to say anything bad about America. We have problems all over the world where we as people, as you know, human civilization, need to start thinking of solutions that don't make things worse. <laughs> when we say, oh, this is going to create gas. Okay, well, what are the problems <laughs> that are going to create? And we need to take into consideration all of the 
the factors when we're solving one problem so that this while solving one problem, like giving someone the ability to cook ribs in their home, <laughs> doesn't create another problem like <laughs> other people can't drink the water in their home. I think more thinking needs to go towards environmentalism before the problem is created as opposed to, oh, no, now there's the problem. What will we do about it? Definitely. And I, I feel like so, for example, for China, when we think about water problems, let's say I don't want to say crisis, like water problems, we usually think about the northwest part of the country and that that general part of the country because of its natural weather um, and the fact that it's very sandy land, mm -hmm. it just has a natural shortage of water and people have been living like that before, you know, the government, before the founding of China, before like the hundreds and thousands of years ago, people developed a lifestyle trying to survive without that much water. And then the government has been trying to build different kind of systems and programs to help people living in that area is nowadays to have more water for their for their livelihood. Mm. Um, and so when you think about water problems, you think about that in China. And then occasionally there's like, oh, there's some contamination. Then it goes on, like it goes on news and it gets fixed in a very mm -hmm. short mm -hmm. amount of time. And I remember when I was, because the first city that I moved to when I was in America, it was Boston. And there is a big, beautiful place that people go run around. And it's called the Boston Reservoir. And people are telling us that Boston Reservoir is where the drinking water the city comes from and similar with some couple other cities that were visited and the, the people are super proud of the fact that their drinking water comes from a, a you know this water body that they could go and see you know so that they make them feel good and i remember back then i was like oh that's you know that's great because you know in beijing we have like the Mi reservoir and a couple of other reservoirs that they say you know this is where the water is coming from for mm -hmm. the city so as a, as a resident of a city you always feel like you're in good hands that you know where the water that's coming right, out of your yeah. tap is coming from so when i was in boston i felt the same way i was like oh that's great and then when i read about flint michigan i'm like that difference is a little too drastic yeah how do you have boston this way and then flint michigan just completely different and then now we're looking at jackson mississippi um we're just like you know what straight out just no water that's kind of <laughs> Let's switch to good news. Yeah. How about that? Yes. So China, is China, there good news? <laughs> there, there is good news. And I'm not talking about America this time, although we're going to get back to how America can fix it. Uh, we, there's some specialists I have some articles from. But I wanted to talk about water around the world a little bit. And, yeah. uh, you know, United States and some European countries and Japan and China, they all actually do help build water systems around the world for people who don't currently have them. I wanted to read about this one mm. uh, or talk about this one. Costa Rica's, I'm going to say this wrong. Canyas, that's I guess the area. Uh, apparently, China's building a water system for, that yeah. will help 30,000 residents get water, and it's being constructed by China Tiesiju Civil Engineering Group or CTCE, which is going to hand over the project after three years of construction as a goodwill mm. tour of world building of uh, development and infrastructure. So it's not just China that's doing that, it's the, it just happens to be what I was able to find really quickly. So, like the United States. <laughs> is also helping build, you know, wells. There are, there are private organizations, non-governmental organizations. There are governmental organizations going around the world to where people are, where they don't have access to clean drinking water and helping them with new solutions. Even uh, Bill Gates has a new project where he's working on a uh, micro refinery, water refinery that is like about, about the size of a, what are those called? Cargo container. Uh -huh. And you can just put this in the middle of your village and put your refuse use in it, including, you know, the plumbing is installed in it. You literally use it as a restroom. Out mm. on the other end comes drinkable water. And he drank this water on, I think it was The Daily Show about a year or two ago, where he drank mm. a cup of this water saying, hey, yeah, this is this works. We're still working a few kinks out. And we're going to start, you know, mobilizing this around the world. So mm. that that's the good news that we're actually increasing the, um, you know, there are more and more people that have access to water and there are fewer and fewer people that are not able to access clean drinking water in the world. So that's a good thing. Um, mm. I have a couple articles here and, it, yeah. and one of them is a growing drinking water crisis threatens American cities and towns. And so it talks about the crisis and this there's an expert here, Upmanu Lal, a, mm. and I didn't know this existed, hydroclimatologist at Columbia University <laughs> and a luminary in his field has co-authored and led numerous studies, 
et cetera, et cetera. And he has, uh, he and his team have found that 21 million people in the U.S. Uh, yeah. were drinking water that was cited for water quality violations. 21 million people is, I guess, somewhere between five and 10 percent of all people. Mm. And so they ask him, well, what, why, you know, what can we do to fix this problem? And I think that's really, you know, you have a hydroclimatologist. That's the guy you want to ask, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Think about the complexity of that title. You got to- <laughs> I can ask this person everything. He he basically said, okay, you can you know, people focus on replacing a bunch of lead services and that's not really the issue. It's not about replacing pipes. Mm. And he said uh, the median age of dams is around 60 years and most of them are rated for 50 years and that's a problem. And he mentioned so he's talking about all of these crises and mm. it basically he ends up saying that problem is that there's no central planning committee. There are just disparate measures all over the place like uh patch here. Okay, this group's going to patch there. Okay, a totally different, unrelated group of people, leaders, governors, mayors, that are going to patch a group there. And he says, quote, there is no central planning for watering investments in the U.S. Compare that with the situation for energy, where they have an Mm. energy information administration and the Department of Energy. And he says, it's not about money. It's about there should be one group in the country, in the United States, that is responsible for water and is managing water everywhere and is able to deploy force and money and allocate funds to manage all of the water in the United States, Mm. which I think frightens some people. This is from me, not an article. When I'm thinking about the advice from this hydroclimatologist, which probably Mm. knows better than most anyone, (laughs) like what to do about the situation, you think about certain small interests or political groups who were like, ah, I don't trust the government. And so like, yeah, these kind of people are essentially holding back our ability as America not just mm. as individual Americans, to solve mm-hmm. the problem. We do need some kind of water dar. We need a group of people, a small group of people who are managing all of it so that we don't have more Jackson, Mississippi crises, Flint crises. We need a group of people whose job is to make sure that water is working because America's yeah. got the money. You know, America's got infrastructure. America has the tools Definitely. and the knowledge and the technology, all of these things. What we need is accountability and leadership. Definitely. I mean, it's important if I am someone who's not even super aware of any water problems, if you're someone who's in the system or who's in the area of water, water safety, water security for America, then you should be more aware of the kind of severe disparity between water systems in different municipalities. And, you know, knowing things like uh, Flint, Michigan and Jackson, Mississippi are happening around the country. If you're any, if you're someone with knowledge and power, I guess just use that to help the people to get their basic survival needs. Is that, is that really so hard? Is that really that much about how things are done properly and how, what other justifications can we find? You're listening to The Bridge. In the articles I was reading, this was a little bit older research a few weeks ago. Uh-huh. It said one big concern is the California drought. And what's interesting about him saying that is that I called my friend, a uh, friend of the show, Rick Fakra. He's been on the show before. I called him because he's my buddy and he lives in California. I was like, hey, mm. hey, Rick, how are you doing? He says, it's terrible here. <laughs> and this, uh, this was a few weeks ago, just after this, uh, I read this. And he said, there's a there's a river in the sky pounding California with water. And I was like, a river, <laughs> river in the sky? What are you talking about? What? What? If that sentence is like, okay, I know it's English, but what does that mean? And so I, I, I started reading up a lot on it. Apparently, there was a inundation of water over California, and apparently, the Cal- Great California Drought that has been affecting California for the last decade is over. Mm. And they have so much water that it probably, even if California continues to badly manage its water, which it's known for doing, at least won't have a drought for the next few years because there's so, mm. so much water like frozen on the Sierra Nevadas, et cetera, et cetera. That's good news because previously a huge concern for even NASA is this great, you know, Western drought that has been concerning. So I guess one of the effects of climate change is it's inundating California with water now. Yay. Because <laughs> they they need water really badly out there. Mm. So it's, it's not just about pipes. It's not just about, you know, individuals turning on their faucets. We have all kinds of issues with climate change. You have mm. shifted 
seeing global patterns of water coming down and extreme cold, extreme heat, fires, and, and all kinds of things. And these are affecting mm. water. You know, I have been doing a lot of research about dams lately, hydropower, Ooh. like dams all over the world. It's become a project for me. To... New, is that your new obsession? Yeah, I'm writing a book on it, actually. And so oh, wow. uh, one of the things is that uh, China is building dams all over the world. Okay, there are two big companies that are primarily doing it. One of them is called Sino Hydro, which mm. means China water, I guess. I and, guess. <laughs> uh, the other one is Gajoba, which Gajoba doesn't just build hydropower dams. It also builds yeah. everything. Like your apartment complex might be built by Gajoba if you live in China or parts of Africa, South America, etc. They build stuff everywhere. And so these two giant companies are going around with money that is being borrowed by countries at 0% interest, 1% interest, 2%, very low. And they're called concessional loans. And they're building yeah. things like hydropower plants all over the world. And I'm not talking about 10 or 20. I'm talking about dozens of hydropower plants all over the world, which are doing more than one thing. Now, obviously, the reaction from people who are anti-hydro is going to be mm -hmm. like, oh, people had to move. You're displacing communities. Yeah. You're hurting local wildlife and things like that. I think, you know, we need to look at the reality that quality of life for people needs to be dramatically improved. And I think the the consensus for most people around the world, especially leaders mm. in this, like Jeffrey Sachs, the real reality is we need them anyway. We need power to create infrastructure to raise people out of poverty and bring them clean into the power as world. well. Yeah, clean power. Because, uh, well, actually, the cement that goes into them is initially not clean. But as long as the plant runs well for more than 10 or 20 years, it becomes clean because that is renewable energy that mm. is energy produced by gravity. So, yeah, you can't, can't get... You, did you did you, did you you ever go to see Gojoba when you were in Wuhan? I actually... The apartment that I own is in a Gojoba building. Oh, so my God. My apartment is Gojoba. So uh, you asked me if I've seen Gojoba. <laughs> I've seen Gojoba. Because <laughs> that was the first okay. thing I learned when I got moved to my apartment. They were like, this is Gojoba. I was like, what is that? And they're like, they made your building. I was like, okay. And they're like, that's a good thing. I was like, okay. <laughs> but later yeah. I learned they're like one of the uh, most advanced technologically advanced and uh, prolific organizations for building structures in the world. So I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, we were we were we were studying about that dam in um in primary school. Mm. So everybody like when we were young kids we were like, you know, we think about how the the standard voice reading that text, uh reading the article from the textbook talking about how it was built and how amazing mm. and great. You're talking about the looks. three gorgeous dam, yeah? The Gojoba, yes, the Gojoba dam. That's uh in Oh, it's Hubei. called it's called the Gojoba dam. Yeah, the ba <laughs> the ba oh. In that uh, phrase oh, is oh, is the Chinese oh, character for for dam, so it's called Guozhou Dam, basically. Oh, okay, so I, well, but, the English name is different than that. But Guozhou sounds so it rolls off the tongue so easy. You know? so, <laughs> when I first learned that, I ruined the tone so bad people didn't know what I was saying. I was like, you know, good good Joba, and people were like, what? You know, good Joba. They're like, what? So I had to learn how to say that. Anyways, so they're building dams all over the world, and what's it really? The positive things about this are not just electricity, not just green energy. That's, you know, the first kicker. So, okay, now you got hundreds of thousands of people who have access mm. to electricity, who can get like, you know, washing machines and TVs and, you know, telecommunications equipment and access to the internet. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And maybe building factories because you can get investment now and you can have jobs and increase wealth and all those things. Those are the obvious things on the surface. But actually, I really hadn't paid attention until I was doing the research. And one of the things mm. that's really positive about these kind of projects is control over water itself. So mm. if you have a community of farmers prior to the construction of the dam, you, you would just be pray, literally praying for water or praying for not as much water and hoping that you're planting the right kind of crops that year. After mm. you build a dam, they will tell you, we're going to release water at these times and these amounts. And you as a farmer can plant yeah. the right kinds of seeds to match the water releases and increase agricultural yields like 10 times over and not have a year where your crops were wiped out. So we're not just talking mm. about access to electricity and telecommunications, which is amazing. We're also talking about increasing food supplies and access to clean water and the ability to install like uh, water systems and water infrastructure for the local residents to drink.
drink. You're talking about one piece of infrastructure upon which you can build all of the other requisite infrastructure you need for modernity. And so I mm. think I'm a really pro damn person. I'm sorry about some <laughs> some species of frogs that may have so like solved cancer. I'm sorry, frogs, you're gone. But like mm. when you build that dam, you are increasing the quality of life for tens or hundreds of thousands of people. And I think it's worth it. And I think this is one of the real reasons that I'm a big pro Belt and Road person is because this is one mm. of the outcomes has been the building of dams and solar and wind facilities all over the world, which are having these add-on effects of clean water and access to yes. electricity and increasing the quality of life increases the, you know, the lifespan of people. The country of Laos. Yeah. Um, China built about 10 dams there. 2002, there were 40% of people with access to electricity. And in two, the year 2020, 100% of people in Laos have access to electricity. I think wow, that that's amazing. That is amazing. So when we're talking about crisis of water in the United States, I think it surprises people because other people mm. around the world are just getting access to, you know, modernity. And America has had access for like a century, at least, depending on how you cal calculate it. And now some towns are losing access to modernity. It's just bizarre. It's kind of hard. Like if you never had it, it's it's fine. Like even if you look at other cities or other countries for having things that are more, more modern and more, you know, advanced, if you never had it, that's okay. But like if you had it and you have to reverse, that's kind of a, you know, stronger hit. And then again, we're not even talking about anything that's too, too out of reach. It's water. It's clean water. Mm. You know? Do you drink bottled water, Alex? I'm going through phases. I'm going through <laughs> I'm really going through phases. So, well, I, I drank tap water when I was in the States mm -hmm. um, and then I never drank tap water here in China. And then I think that's one clarification that needs to be made. It's not that people are saying, oh, my God, if you drink tap water, you're going to die or you're going to get <laughs> sick for sure. It's a living habit because China's water system, like running water system, didn't really start in mainland until like maybe like 1910, 1920. Like wow. Beijing had, his had its first like water system running in 1910 and then i think like wow. uh, hong kong hong kong was the earliest to have a running water system it was like back in like 1893 or something um so the chinese people have been existing way before that for like mm. thousands of years and it's just it's a habit of us living in groups surviving together as a group wisdom that back then without any um, sanitization without any treatment of the water. The only way to make it safer to drink is to boil it. Mm -hmm. Well, was to boil it. And so that became a habit that was taken down, like passing that, that became a habit that got passed down from generation to generation. And a lot of people just, they, it's just part of the herd mentality that water cannot be consumed unless it's boiled. Mm -hmm. But because I was reading on Juhu, which is the Chinese um, Quora mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. you know, the Chinese, uh, what's another equivalent? I can't. But like a Juhu is like the Chinese Quora, the Chinese uh, Reddit kind of where a lot of people share Quora, their expertise. Where, where wi Wikipedians go to fight. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a that's like a, that's a great animation idea. You know, <laughs> Wikipedia started a fight. Um, on Quora, a lot of people are saying so basically the reality nowadays in China and in America is if you're someone that's super paranoid or super concerned about water safety, then wherever you are, China or America, you probably shouldn't drink tap water because you're that concerned. Because wow. if you really look into the the test results of what mm. are what's contained in the drinking water in both countries, you are probably going to be surprised to see what's in America's drinking water, uh, like America's drinking water. But if you're like, eh, you're like, you're someone who will pick up the food that falls on the table and just eat it. And you don't really care. <laughs> you know, we're not talking about the floor. even just talking about the table. If you don't really care that much about it, then you could drink the tap water here. You can drink tap water in America. It's really more about what you're used to, like mentally what you're uh. comfortable with. Because if you look at the the level of, um, you know, all of these weird names of standards of like little whatever elements, whatever uh, micro bodies, things that exist in the water, there's no like worse or better between the two. And probably that goes, that's the same for the rest of the world. Oh, yeah. 
I used to ride a bike before I hurt a couple of my uh, spine, parts of my spine, which are severely damaged now, and I don't bicycle ride anymore. But when I was riding my bike here in Beijing for 10 years, I decided mm. I want to know where the water comes from. So mm. I started going up the canal and I mm. eventually left the city past mm. the sixth ring in the northwest, following the canal out. And eventually I got to a temple somewhere mm. like and they were like, this is where the water comes from. Like, and I, you know, what's really bizarre is mm. the the canal is very full. You know, you imagine there it must be coming from somewhere where there's a, a ton of water. But the source of water that I ended up finding was actually really small. So I was like, how oh. how is this very small source of water mm. creating all of that water? And so I don't <laughs> I'm, I still don't know to this day. Maybe there are other sources that combine as it like comes into the city but if you follow the official like route of the canal it actually goes to a very a trickle <laughs> into the system so i was actually mm -hmm. kind of really confused about that but i i want to tell a different story and that kind of accompanies this one mm. my father brought me when i was very young my family we love to go camping in the sierra nevadas and we went up to i don't even you know nowhere in the middle of the forest <laughs> And there's a creek there called Strawberry Creek. And we used to take water out of it. And mom and dad, like you you said, we would boil the water and yeah. let, let it cool or whatever. And we would drink that. And then my father right? said, you don't, let's go somewhere, Jason, where you don't have to uh, boil the water. And I was, I mean, you know, I'm like five, six. I don't know what he's talking about. So <laughs> we like. Dad, what does boiling mean? <laughs> so yeah, we go out two or three hours. Yeah, that was barely mm. a concept for me. Two or three hours <laughs> into the nowhere. And we eventually get to like a uh, crack in a giant rock and we crawl into this rock and he's got you know uh, a kind of like a tin thermos sort of thing and he reaches uh -huh. out and into this trickle of water that's coming out of the ground and fills it and he starts drinking it and he's like this is the best water in the world jason and i was like okay dad and he gave me some and he's like isn't that great and i was like it's water you know when you're five water tastes like yeah. water you know like i don't know this water is better than other water waters are equal <laughs> but this is water we didn't have to boil and so that's essentially mm. like the place i went in Beijing is one of the sources of the water for the canal system where all the water comes from that comes out of the tap. Mm -hmm. And uh, that right there, which is they built a Buddhist temple around mm -hmm. around this source of water. You could mm -hmm. literally just drink the water, whether you're, you know, you just mentioned two types of people, whether you're A type or B type, this water is like the pure water that comes out of like the ground. It's from yeah. the aquifers under the ground. <laughs> and so like whether you're in China or the United States, you know, the concern is we don't have time to talk about all of this is that people are really scientists are really starting to get concerned about the tables of water under the ground are either mm. drying up or being made toxic by our human activity so yeah you know we have had it so good for so long but we're reaching a point where human activity is getting to a point where we need to really be concerned about the way that we're affecting the world or the world will not continue to be the way that it has been for the last millions of years things have been good but this is the time to start feeling a little concerned so that we can keep it good for a little longer. Well, uh, do you have any last thoughts you want to leave our listeners with, Alex? I would say this. Save water, please. <laughs> yeah, just, guys. Yeah, I would please say. Please don't. I would, I, I, I would also say to the scientists, you know, really think about those batteries you're putting in EVs. I'm I'm concerned that they're going to affect our water tables. You know, like I, I'm I'm mm. pro, pro EV because they're way more efficient. Way we to are. Energy. If you listen to our show, you know, we're super pro EV, but. Well, make sure that the way that we're processing those batteries isn't going to affect our table water because, you know, that's not good yeah, either. If we don't have water to drink to drive the EVs, what are EVs good for? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> think about that. Think about that, All please. Right. Thank you so much for your time, Alex. And join us on our next show as well. Hey, guys, please remember to give us five stars and share this show with your friends. Help us spread the word. Always lovely talking to you, Jason. 